Welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast, where we believe that the grace of God is yours to live. It is our prayer that this message will help you experience God's freedom, live your potential, and make the impact you were created for. Now here's the message. The God we serve is a God who will meet us once again. Here we are asking ourselves as we sing the song, God, will you meet us again? And yes, the answer is yes, every time. He'll meet us everywhere. He'll meet us in the unemployment line. He'll meet us in the hospital room. He'll meet us when we don't know what we're going to do about our kids and school and work. He will meet us every time. He'll meet us again. This morning, whatever you're thinking, whatever your heart is set on this morning, I want to ask you, just as we're closing out this moment of worship, I want to ask you to ask yourself what your heart is set on in this season. It's very easy to get your heart set on fear. It's very easy to get your heart set on the unknown. But what we do know about Jesus is that he's always there. He's always with us, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing in the low times and the difficult times, he's with us. He's not just with us on the mountain, he's with us in the valley. And this morning, It's been a week of valleys for many people, many people working through the death and the sickness of loved ones, many people wrestling with questions about their future, many people in the hospital. Yet in all that tragedy and all that difficulty, there have been so many good stories coming out of what we're hearing about God and what we're hearing him do in people's lives. And again, it's interesting how we can have nine good things happen and kind of discount those because of one difficult thing happening around us. And I want to make sure that we're setting our hearts this morning on the good things in spite of the difficult things. Some of our brothers and sisters are experiencing grief and loss and difficulty, but many of us are not experiencing that. We're experiencing life and hope and courage and provision, and God is doing amazing things. So this morning... Let's set our hearts on Jesus and let's pray for those whose hearts right now are set on despair or set on grief. Let's lift them up. Let's stand with our church family and know that as God met us again, he will meet them in their troubled times. Lord Jesus, we lift you up this morning. We thank you that you are Lord above all. You are the King of Kings, our Savior. This morning, we thank you for your provision in our life. We thank you for the things that maybe we even take for granted. And God, we praise you just for who you are, not just what you've done for us, but we praise you for who you are this morning. And we ask, God, that you would lift up and encourage those who are struggling right now, those who are deeply in need financially, emotionally, spiritually, dealing with sickness, dealing with loss or grief. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters and we ask you, God, to be their strength to be their hope and to be their peace, Lord God. We thank you that your mercy is new every morning and we thank you that your grace is poured down on their lives. It is poured down in hospital rooms right now. Those needing a miracle. It is poured down on those of us needing a job. It is poured down on those of us needing hope. It is poured down on those of us who need vision where there seems to be confusion. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters this morning. In your mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen, 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 church. Come on, if you are in your...
pajamas in your bed, on your couch. Hopefully you have some coffee and maybe you've got something to eat, a very comfortable way of life you've gotten used to here. It won't last forever. Sometime at some point we'll be back. We don't know when that is, uh, but that doesn't really matter. It's not stopping us from doing what God has called us to do. Though we aren't able to gather a couple of weeks ago, I've been speaking on this in our podcast midweek motion, and I spoke on this in a Sunday message, how there are things that are, that are known in spite of what is unknown. And I just want to encourage you to remember that as the enemy continues to throw things at you that are leading you into unknown places, continue to remember what is known by you, about you, by God. Because the church has rebounded and always rebuilt. Over the last couple of thousand years, Jesus has continued to make his name great in and through every generation. And he never slips away off into the darkness. He never slips away behind closed doors. Jesus always comes through and brings resurrection life into every generation that receives him. And so this morning, let's make sure that as Christians, we're thinking from a place of faith, thinking from a place of hope and expectation. It doesn't matter what we're seeing. It doesn't matter what we're feeling. It really doesn't matter what we're thinking. What matters is what God is thinking. And what he's thinking is good plans for you and I. That's not oversimplifying our season. That's the sovereign reality of a good God whose promises are true. So let's set our hearts and minds on him this morning. Hey, I want to start with a quote this morning from a man named A.W. Tozer, a man who has since gone on to be with the Lord, but wrote a lot of great books, very deep writer, thinker. And he made this quote that is one of the quotes that I've rested on for a long time. It's something that really shaped early on my thinking. Maybe not necessarily the book that he wrote it from because I, I didn't read the book, but I remember the quote from the book. And um, I believe it's from the book, The Knowledge of the Holy. But it's this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Many things impact the way we think about God. Our upbringing impacts the way we think about God. Family members impact what we think about God. What people share in their faith to us about God to reveal his nature and his character affects and impacts the way we think about God. Ministers that we listen to, podcasts that we listen to, books that we read, give us pictures and understanding of the depth and the breadth and the, and the uh, expansiveness of God, how, how large and vast he is. The random celebrity on Instagram that throws a quote about God affects the way we think about God. Look, anybody and everybody saying anything about God often affects and impacts the way we think about God. Our understanding and our commitment to having a, a good theology, a good understanding of who God is, that affects how we think about God. It affects the way we think about our day and our week and our month and our life and our year, the way we deal with loss, the way we deal with pain, the way we deal with struggle and suffering. All of the ways that we think about life are affected by the way we think about God. And what we think about God and the way we think about God is affected by so many different places in life. And so he, he hit the nail on the head when he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God 
is the most important thing about us. Why? Because it's shaping everything that we think. It's shaping everything that we say. It's shaping the way we raise our children. It's shaping the way we handle difficult seasons. It's shaping the way we're handling our money. It's shaping the way we treat people. How we think about God affects every single thing about us. Everything that we see, everything that we say and hear and live out. And I say that to say that whatever you think about Jesus this morning, he's more than you think. Jesus is more than you think. And that's the title of my message today. He is more than you think. See, for many people, there's little time to think about God because people spend so much of their time thinking about themselves, thinking about their life, thinking about their ups and downs and comings and goings and struggles and victories and fears and frustrations and problems and challenges. There's so much that comes into our mind about every day and everyday life dealings that sometimes that leaves little or no time to think about God. So we have to be intentional about the way we think about Jesus. And remember that whatever you think about Jesus, he's more than you think. He's far more than you think. I've been saved for over 20 years. More than that, actually, I got saved when I was a little kid. But as I got serious about God in in my early 20s, there's who I thought Jesus was at that time, but there's who I know him to be right now. Who I thought him to be was one thing, who I know him to be is another thing. Time has proven that experience and longevity walking with Jesus will shape the way you live, it'll shape the way you think, it'll shape the decisions that you make. That's why in spite of all this, it's not coming from a place of arrogance, it's not coming from a place of false confidence, but from day one I have told our team, our staff, and our church We will get through this. That's not a cliche saying so we can put a bumper sticker on our car. That is the truth of what I believe about God. There is no valley that he brings us into or allows us to go into that he does not have a plan to get us out of and restore us once he moves us beyond that place. And if you don't have experience with Jesus to see that yet, then I want to tell you he's more than you think he is. If you're in a place of despair this morning or discouragement and you don't know what's next, I want to tell you Jesus knows what's next. And you may have to make a line in the sand in this season to set the mile marker of where it is you're going to rest your hope and your peace and your future life strategy because a lot of people don't think of God in the way he says he is. But whatever you think about Jesus, he's more than you think. Let me also say this. There is nothing about you and nothing in you that God can't use to do something great. So often we get so confused about where we are in life and what's wrong with our life that we stop thinking that God can use us. You know, Jesus, uh, in his greatness, chooses not to use people in the Bible that are perfect. He chooses to use people who are broken, who are stubborn. Come on, look at your spouse right now and say he's talking about you. He uses stubborn people. He uses rebellious people. He uses sinful people. He uses people who he said go this way, but they go that way. 
God in his grace knows that he's using people, not according to what they think about themselves and even according to what we would think about them, but according to what he thinks about them. That is the beauty of grace embodied in the scriptures. The grace of God comes and it doesn't come to people who deserve it. It comes to people who don't deserve it. And because they don't deserve it, they're able to freely receive the gift of grace that is Jesus and everything that he wants to pour out in our life. So there's nothing in you and there's nothing about you that God can't use for something great. You can spend a lot of time disqualifying yourself from who God says you are and what God says you're created for simply because of what you think about you rather than what God thinks about you, of what you think about Jesus rather than what Jesus thinks about you. But whatever you think about Jesus today, he's more than you think. You see, we're experts at looking in the mirror of our lives and finding the things that we're disgruntled with or disgusted with or, you know, discouraged about. But Jesus doesn't look at us the way we tend to look in the mirror at our own life. Jesus looks at us as a loving father looks at his child. As a loving father looks at his child. Not an abusive father, not a shaming father, not a berating father, not a father that you can ever measure up to. No, a loving father is how Jesus looks at us. As a father looks to a child. He looks at us as a creator looks at his creation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For you and I, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us new in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned long ago. We're God's masterpiece. If you go around telling people that today, they'd probably think you're arrogant. They'd probably think you're caught up in yourself. But Jesus calls us his masterpiece, his workmanship, his work of art. The truth is Jesus made you for something far greater than maybe you even think you're created for. And he may be using it in you to pour into your children, to work out in your job, to serve someone, to give, to build, to establish, to bless. There's so many avenues that God uses people. And it's all because we're his masterpiece. It's not arrogant to think of yourself the way God thinks of you. See, what I'm saying is before you even began to think negatively about your life or your future or yourself, God was already thinking good things about you. Good things because there are good things that he has planned for your life. Ephesians 2.10, one more time. We are God's masterpiece. He's created us new in Christ Jesus. So why? So that we can do good things that he planned long ago. This is a sense of destiny that every Christian should have. This is why we can live from a place of victory because of what Jesus has done and what Jesus has planned long ago that we're now stepping into. But it makes no difference if we're going to think wrong about who we are. If we're not going to think correctly about who God says we are. How many hours a day, a week, a month, years have you spent thinking about your life and what's wrong with it? Or the areas of your life 
that you know need improvement? How much time have you spent thinking negatively about you instead of thinking about what God thinks about you? Seeing, seeing his love and his life poured out for you. You are his masterpiece. And he's more than you think. He's going, well, that sounds too simple. That's just simplicity, you know. But, but Jesus is not into positive declaration in the way that we kind of know it here in Western culture. He doesn't say things just so we'll feel good about ourselves. He says things so that we will know ourselves. And the only way we can know ourselves is if we know who he is. And you can't know who you are until you know who God is. You can't really know who you are until you know who God is. See, where you constantly may see imperfections, God sees opportunities. Where you may consistently see failure, God may see future. Where you consistently see that you don't measure up, God sees what he's created you for in spite of where you don't think you measure up. Because he didn't create you to live by how you think about you. He created you to live by what he thinks about you. And he says you're his masterpiece. He says that you're loved. And part of our responsibility as Christians is to get that thinking from God, that understanding. See, that's theology right there. That is, that is a belief about God, what he thinks about you. That shapes everything. The rest of your life is shaped by that. Some people don't get that right. That's why they're up and down like a roller coaster because the way they feel about themselves is what's dictating their future, their future decisions, their future choices. It's kind of like whenever we see friends of ours that we grow up with or even people that we work with or people that we know go into bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship. And you as a friend can see as clear as day that the next person that they're dating or getting married to is bad news, is trouble from them. That's not judgment, that's reality. The track record speaks for itself. You can tell this is not going to go well. And sure enough, it doesn't go well. And why do we see that pattern so often? It's because of people's self-esteem, people's belief about themselves, people's thoughts about themselves. They don't see themselves in a way where they should wait for God's goodness, wait for God's standard, wait for God to set the mile marker. See, what we think about God affects everything. And as Christians, part of our responsibility is to get that thinking from God and then to keep a right mind about Jesus because you can still walk with Jesus and still have wrong thoughts about Jesus. The disciples proved that. Jesus chose them. They got Jesus and then in order to keep their minds right about Jesus, Jesus had to correct and rebuke and teach and align and shape things that were off. So it's not a sin all the time for things to be off. It's a sin to know things are off and to do nothing about it and to desire God to do nothing about it. Because then we start wanting to walk in alignment with who we think we are rather than who God says we are. See, the disciples were chosen in their imperfection. And as they walked with Jesus, they became more like Jesus. You and I were chosen 
in our imperfection, with our stubbornness and our attitudes and our sins and our brokenness and our whatever it is that makes us us, the unhealed places, the unfathered places, the uncorrected places, all of those things that make you and I who we are, God still chose you and I in spite of that. God didn't see us the way people see us. God didn't see us the way cancel culture sees us. God didn't see us the way society or internet comments see us. God sees us as chosen. So part of our responsibility as Christians is to get and keep a right mind about Jesus. So what is a right mind about Jesus? Well, for the next Part of the message, I want to talk more about Jesus and about who he is in our life. Number one, Jesus is a rescuer. Jesus is a rescuer. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Jesus is a rescuer. The God who loves you. What you first need to know is he's a rescuer. He rescued you from what the enemy had planned for you. He rescued you from yourself. He rescued you from your own decisions. You ever get a little bit older and look back and know the decisions you were going to make and recognize that would have been a really dumb decision? Of course we do. The more time goes on, hopefully the more wisdom we gain as we gain knowledge. But the reality is Jesus rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. And then it says he transferred us. He repositioned us. He moved us from where we were into the kingdom of his dear son. The other day I was with Pastor John. Our our families were together. And uh, Eden Rain, my now three-year-old, was running in the grass. And she was headed straight for the edge of a picnic table, literally the height right here, which would have meant her running at full speed looking this way would have meant, bam, black eye, stitches, bust, something. But John reached out and stuck his hand in front of the table and caught her head. And her reaction to when he caught her face was not good. She gave him a grumpy look she didn't like the fact that, God was, that John was sticking his hand out the way God sticks his hand out and saves us from things. She did not like that abrupt blast to the face from his hand, stopping her, rescuing her from potential danger. And oftentimes we don't like when God saves us from ourselves. We're comfortable thinking we know which way we're running. And when God puts a stop to certain plans and puts his hand in front of decisions and puts his hand in front of strategies. We don't like it. I don't like it. You don't like it. None of us like it. Why? Because we think we know what's best for our life. But God is a rescuer. He rescued us from darkness. So why wouldn't he rescue us from dumb decisions? Why wouldn't he rescue us from things that we can't see that are coming that are going to hurt us? Why can't he rescue us from things that are set to destroy us? See, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, the enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The enemy has strategies for your life. And so we're supposed to be watchful of Jesus, who is our rescuer. 
I've gotten old enough to know this. If Jesus does not have it planned for my life, I don't want it. From next steps we make as a church, from decisions we have to make, from leaders we choose, if it is not in the plan of God, I'm not interested. I do not want to cook up something that Jesus did not order off of his menu. If he's not having it, I don't want it. Now, I can't say that's always been the case. But now at this stage of my life, now following Jesus, now there's a desire of, I don't want what God doesn't have for me. I don't want what God doesn't want for me. I don't want to have to be rescued from things that I could have known by simply following him. Jesus is a rescuer, and he'll continue to rescue you and I from dumb decisions, from discouragement, from despair, from destruction. So we've got to see that when we face situations where there's great temptation to go our own way, great temptation to sin, great temptation to not trust God, great temptation to get into bed with someone that you're not married to, great temptation to look at things that you shouldn't look at, great temptation to hoard money instead of letting yourself be a vessel where finances flow through you into the kingdom of God, great temptation to hold back and withdraw when God has called you to go forward and invest. You got to be careful. Don't let that temptation settle you into a place of comfort. And don't let it settle you into a place of despair where you think about yourself that once you've done that, now you're unworthy of being loved by God. See, God will allow you to be miserable in sin to the point that you will eventually turn from that sin and come back to him to see that you are a masterpiece. Even in your sin and your brokenness and the bad decisions that you make, as God did with his own saints and people in the scriptures, he loves them in spite of themselves and in spite of the decisions that they make. What I'm saying is don't let temptations you're facing dislodge you from God's love for you. Don't let temptation dislodge you, displace you from God's love. See that love calling you to something greater. See that love calling you to a different standard, a different way of living, a different way of thinking. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than what you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out of it so that you can endure. God gives us a way of escape because... He's a rescuer. He'll make a way. Secondly, about Jesus. He's a redeemer. He's a rescuer, and he's a redeemer. Galatians 3, 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us. The Greek word for that is exagorazo, which means to buy up, to ransom, to rescue from loss, right? Whenever you have a coupon and you take it somewhere or a discount of some sort to purchase something, you have to present that and you redeem, you buy and you purchase from that position of what that coupon offers, that redemption gives you that percentage back. For your life and for my life, that whole percentage was what Jesus paid for. He paid for the whole thing. He paid for it all. He rescued us, redeemed us 
from loss. Don't get too far in your thinking away from that, especially if you've been saved for more than 10 years. This is why people become stubborn. This is why people become a little bit arrogant. This is why people become withdrawn from community and I'm just reading books. It's just me and God right now. Well, that's because you're hurt or you're distancing yourself from people. God has created you to be in community and he's redeemed the hurting places or wants to redeem the hurting places in you that keep you from people and keep you from community. Come on, God has made you his masterpiece. And what you think about him is not what people have said about you and not what people have done to you. God's a redeemer. And even now, he wants to redeem places in your life that are hurting or that are full of despair. He wants to buy back, rescue from loss, redeem every curse set out for your life, every curse set out in your family line. He wants to break the generational curses that have been corroding and corrupting your relatives down the line as far back as you can see with brokenness and bad money handling and alcoholism and five marriages and kids all over the place and no stability. God, God wants to come into those places and redeem that type of broken life and establish it. And some of you are like, well, my family line's not like that. Well, God's doing some redemptive work. Don't let it stop with you. Don't let the redemptive work stop with you where now the future becomes the very thing that God never allowed you to have to go through. See, the Joshua generation, they crossed over the Jordan and they came in and they set up camp and they established that generation. They gained their cities, but then they lost their children in the next generation. It says in that scripture, right after that, following that, that a generation came after Joshua that neither knew of or knew who God was, neither knew of the things God had done. They didn't know of the mighty miracles God had done. It's crazy to think that from one generation to the next, all the work, all the labor, all the deliverance, all the great things God has done can be gone just like that. Because one generation didn't do their job. One generation stopped going to church. One generation stopped praying. One generation stopped getting into the presence of God. One generation stopped giving. One generation stopped worshiping. One generation stopped serving the city. One generation got back and said, you know what? I've had a long week. I don't really need to think about loving anyone else and serving anyone else and giving to anyone else. I just need God to be here for me. And then that turns into a week and a year and a decade. And before you know it, people's Christianity has been reduced to their spiritual experiences that they like and dislike on a Sunday morning. And they hop from place to place and book to book and podcast and teaching to teaching, church to church, feeding and feeding, but never giving. Receiving finances, but never giving. Receiving knowledge, but never giving. There are people waiting to be rescued and redeemed by what God has done in your life. They are waiting for you and I to get serious about the brokenness that has transpired and the redemption that God has brought. God's a redeemer. He'll keep redeeming you from everything. He'll keep you from wanting to spend your life after revenge for something someone did to you. 20, 30 years later, you meet people who are still wanting revenge for things that happened so long ago. Their their life has not left that season. 
That works good for Hollywood movies. It doesn't work good for your natural life. It'll give you cancer, gray hairs, make you miserable, give you a cynical outlook. Not everything to overcome is easy, but we have to understand God came and redeemed the sinfulness of our hearts, and he wants to redeem your heart even in this season from things like revenge and and things that have been in your family line. He wants to redeem people from having no roots. Some people have roots just long enough to have one flower show up in spring, and then they uproot uproot from relationships, uproot from friendships because the conditions are tough. Don't let that be you. Let God redeem those places in you where you want to run every time you're starting to get roots. Next, Jesus is a rebuilder. This is point number three. He's a rebuilder. First Peter 2.5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Mom and dads of the house right now, you are the priests of your home. You establish the tone, the atmosphere, the boundaries. It is you who God has established because you are being built into God's spiritual house and God has made you a living stone, something alive. You're not a stone that has no life. You're a stone that is strong and mighty and has life and you've been placed into the spiritual house of the kingdom of God for your generation and for your children and for your marriage and for your future and for your grandkids. So you have to decide for yourself. You know, when Janelle and I started dating, we decided for ourselves the type of life that we were going to have. We had to look at what was around us, friends we had around us. We had to look at past family lines and decisions. We had good upbringings, you know, in, in many respects, but in, in, in many respects, there were things that we wanted to see change, just like every generation should. It should get better than the last one. But Janelle and I remember we were dating sitting in a vehicle for hours when we would just talk about life and God. I don't know how we spent that much time talking about a future we didn't know about. (laughs) Maybe I started all these confusing questions for her to answer, but we would talk about the future and what it was going to be and how we wanted to serve God. And we wanted to give our our life to serving the house of God. We made non-negotiables from the very beginning. We were going to build a life and let God be the rebuilder of our past brokenness. And he was going to build something through us. We were going to be givers. Before we got married, we said non-negotiables. We will always tithe. We will always be part of the house of God. We're not going to have these run-ins with people in church and then change our theology to say, well, it's just now me and God. We we weren't going to go down that road of making up our own theological beliefs that are based on our experiences, many of them bad. We were going to understand the heart of God, that he is a rebuilder, that he wants to rebuild our lives, and he wants us to be rebuilders of others' others' lives. And we have stayed true to that for almost two decades. Man, I feel old. But for almost two decades... And it seems like yesterday, we set in our hearts and our minds the decisions that would then pave our future. And as God is my witness, there are plenty of times and seasons and temptations where we could have given up on that. Hurts, betrayals, setbacks, letdowns. I could sit here and bore you to tears with sad stories about things that have happened, but I won't do that. 
I will tell you this. God took every broken place and every broken season and has rebuilt something out of it. Because God is a rebuilder. And if you didn't think that before, you need to think it today. Because Jesus is more than you think. He's more than you think he is. And today, maybe you've settled yourself into a place where you have set the limitations for who you think God is and what God's capable of and the love he's capable of giving you based on how you think about you. But God wants to shift that this morning. Come on, sometimes all you need to to do is to take the car in and you don't need a brand new car. You just need a tune up. You just need the tires aligned. You just need the oil change. You just need something shifted because if not, you'll have to build the whole thing over again. God just wants to make some tweaks that turn you towards him, towards his face. Look, I, I don't know a lot about Chip and Joanna Gaines. I just know that like they've taken over the world, especially in Texas. And I know that they pretty much own Waco. They're like the mayors of Waco or something. And I know that whole city has exploded because when I was passing through Waco years ago, there was nothing. And now like everything is there. But what are they famous for? They're famous for taking broken, busted, disgusted things and making them into something beautiful. Now, what would happen if they said, I want to come into your home and I just want to rebuild your home. And you're like, okay, well, You can start with the kitchen, but don't go in that room. And and don't go in that room right there because that door's locked. I'm not letting you in there. That's a painful room. I'm not opening that door. And and you can't go over here in this hallway. And you, you can't go in that bathroom. You can go in that bathroom, but not this. What would happen if we started locking them out? But what happened is they'd be able to make one part of the house beautiful, but the rest of the parts would still need rebuilding. And what would happen is we wouldn't see the fullness of what they're capable of because we're too set on keeping them out of places that are broken. So often this is what we do with Jesus. He touches. He puts his finger on. He highlights places that are broken. And it hurts. And it's challenging to let him get in there to tear down so that he can rebuild but trust me when he tears it down he makes something beautiful he makes something so beautiful that it's hard to fathom what it was like before and every time you see them redo something you get shocked at the pictures how could they turn this into that imagine what God could do to you if he turned you into the masterpiece that he's created you to be that he already says you are. If you let him fine tune the places that you're locking him out of. God wants to rebuild you this morning. Don't keep Jesus out of rooms that he's trying to rebuild in your life. I don't have time to preach these, but I'll just say them to you. Number, number four, he's a restorer. He's a restorer. He restores our lives. 1 Peter 5.10, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I prayed this verse over my wife, Janelle, in the hospital at this time three years ago. I prayed that day in and day out until she was restored by God to health. 
There's an update on my social media feed of her using an armband to learn how to to basic functions again, learning how to walk again. I mean, you've heard me talk about this. God is a restorer. That word restore that he uses means to, to bring to completion, to prepare and to make ready. See, God rebuilds you to restore you because he wants to make you ready for what's coming and make you ready for what he's created you for. But if all you see is what's wrong with this room and what's wrong with that bathroom and you don't let him in to rebuild, he can never restore. You can only talk about the potential of what it could be instead of seeing the beauty of what it can be. Some of you have a, a wish list on Amazon or carts, digital carts where you say you've Collect on items you want to purchase, but you haven't bought them. And they're sitting there in your computer or your phone, just sitting there waiting. And you have this expectation that at some point it's going to go on sale. At some point, you're going to be able to buy it. At some point, you're going to just make the decision and get it. So you thought you're the only one who does that. We all do that. We, we have these wish lists. What if you had just as much expectation about the places God wants to rebuild and restore as you did for some of the things that are sitting in your cart, itemized, line by line, one by one, where you know the price it's going to cost to pay it, but you're just waiting to that moment when it's the right time to do it. What if today was the right day to allow God to be the purchase price, Jesus Christ on the cross, to be the purchasing price, the atonement for everything that's busted up in your life? everything that you're confused about, everything that you think about you that isn't the way God thinks about you. Lastly, he's a rewarder. Hebrews 11, 6, he rewards those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is in the business of rewarding people. He blesses people. He blesses people who seek him. This is why, why, why giving is so foundational to your Christian life. Because it's a trust that God is a rewarder of those who seek him and his kingdom and his will. I think giving is the biggest gateway to blessing in people's lives that they often miss out on. Because this world teaches us to hoard and protect and not, not be safe, but to be scared with what we have. Our gifts, our talents, our time, our resources. And if you've gotten burned out before, maybe you needed to scale back and realign. But nevertheless, you're called to give. For God so loved the world that he hoarded. No. For God so loved the world that he gave. The essence of Christianity is found in giving. The foundation of Christianity is in giving. And God is a rewarder of those who seek him, his will, his first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What things? The things that he has planned because you're a masterpiece. Maybe not the things that you desire always, but the things that he has planned. I'm glad God didn't give me the things I thought I desired at 15 or 19 or 22 or 29 or 35. There are things that I thought in my best interest would be good for me, but they weren't. God knew better. 
He's your rescuer. He's your redeemer. He's your rebuilder. He's your restorer. And he's your rewarder. And this morning, he's taking you somewhere in this season to help you see maybe what others can't see in the middle of this confusing season. Today, I wanted to set your heart and your mind on Jesus to see him so clearly in the midst of what is a season where people are confused and hurting and grieving and lost and broken. I wanted you, Grace Avenue Church fam, to make room in your heart to see Jesus as he truly is. Don't get lost on Jesus in this season. He came for you. And he loves you. Let him rescue, redeem, rebuild, restore, and reward your life according to his plan. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the multifaceted aspect of your life, who you are, God. Lord, I ask you this morning to correct the views that we have about you when our minds think about you. Lord, realign as you did with your own disciples whom you chose, who day by day, moment by moment, you walked with them and shaped and aligned things that were off. God, open us up to your correction, to your direction. Help us to not process it as rejection, but Lord, help us see it as destiny in the making, as vision unfolding. This morning, if you are part of our church fam, I'm going to ask you to use this moment to pray for those that need to make a decision to follow Jesus. This is the most important thing about what we do as a church to see people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're watching today and you've not made a decision to seek God first, to make him the Lord of your life, to put him first, his his right place in your life, I want to ask you to do what Jesus talks about and make the decision to, he uses this word, repent, which means to turn away from the way you're living and to pursue him. Repent and be saved. To turn from the way you live and to trust him with your life. Come on, no one in your life asks you such bold moves and bold uh, decisions about your life. God is calling you and asking you to think soberly about your life and your future and your eternity and to repent, to think differently about the way you've thought about your life and to now think about the way he thinks about your life. And today, if you feel today is that day and that moment to come to him and surrender your life or secondly, to come back to God because you've been far from him, then I want to pray with you. Church fam, would you pray with me? Friend, if you're watching right now by screen, if you're listening by podcast, you can pray this with me as well. Just say this, Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. I ask you to save me right now. Rescue, 
redeem, rebuild, restore, and reward my life according to your plan. I surrender my heart and life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you made that decision today, I celebrate you. I celebrate the heaviness that is lifted off of you. I celebrate the hope that is found. I celebrate the joy that you are feeling right now. I celebrate the new life that you've been born into. Jesus said, be born again. You were just born again. Born into a brand new life. Where he says, your sins are forgiven and your future in him is established. I want to encourage you to follow him all the days of your life. If you made that decision today, would you write in the comments there for us? Just type it out. I was saved today. Just type that out and someone from our team wants to celebrate you and send you something and make sure that you have what you need for this new season of your life. Reese Avenue fam, I love you. I can't wait to see you again and hug you, throw my arms around you and high five you and do all the things that we do. But until then, let's keep remembering what is unknown shouldn't stop us from what is known. Let's make room for the things that we can do in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Remember, Jesus is more than you think. We'll see you next Sunday. If you would like the most up-to-date information about Grace Avenue Church, or you are looking for a way to support this ministry, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening.